welcome to the Health Tech Podcast. Here we talk about everything healthcare and technology, and I'm your host, James Somaru. Hey everybody, my guest this week is Martin Blinder, and he's the CEO and founder of TickTrack, which is a leading health engagement company. So TickTrack, what it is, is a personalized digital health and wellness platform that's designed to empower individuals to take greater control of their well-being. So Martin recently appeared on Sky News to discuss the increased demand in health tech tools, why now's a pivotal moment for health and well-being. And he believes that the workplace of the future will not just be about ensuring a productive team, but supporting the health and well-being needs of staff, which I think everybody can get on board with. We talk about lots of different things, obviously mainly his background and, and tick track, but certainly the future, the, the future of uh, protecting our employees' health and wellness and how that contributes to our health and how these guys are doing it through technology. So I hope you enjoy. So Martin, welcome to the Health Tech Podcast. How are you doing this morning? Is it this morning? Yeah, it is this morning. I've been up for ages. I've been up since six. So I thought it was the afternoon, but sadly not. How are you doing? Dark and gloomy this time of year. It is, yeah. It's, it is. I'm good, thanks, James. Good to be here. You're very welcome. Whereabouts are you speaking to us from today, Martin? I'm in West London by Ladbroke Grove. Ah, very nice. Are you at home or are you back in the office? Yeah, in my little uh, office, conservatory, kitchen, garden, all mix of everything. Wearing my jacket and everything in this way. It does look very nice. You've got um, some nice foliage going on behind you. It's uh... <laughs> it's not planted at all. <laughs> oh, very nice. Cool. So listen, Martin, the way that we start these podcasts is we get you to tell your story. And obviously you've got a super interesting background all the way up to what you're doing now. And uh, yeah, so for the listeners, why don't you uh, give us a flavor? So tell us a bit about your story. Sure. Uh, look, I'll give you a very quick bio of, uh, of where I'm from and, and how I landed in the UK and, and with TickTrack. So I'm originally from Argentina, uh, but I moved to New York when I was a kid. I uh, pretty much grew up there, went to uni in the US and started my career in management consulting in the late 90s. Um, this was the first dot-com boom. About a year and a half into management consulting, I moved to Spain to start an internet financial services business, one of the first ones in Europe. It was basically a mortgage finder where we would compare uh, different offers in the market and we would do it pretty manually because back then there wasn't anything like an API or any fancy data services. Um, and we, we built the business quite quickly there and sold it to uh, a competitor about two years into it. I stayed in Spain, uh, really just enjoying, um, enjoying working there, consulting organizations like Telefonica, uh, and um, the government, uh, regional governments and foreign direct investment. Had a lot of fun, but after about four more years or five more years, I wanted to make a change. And one of my former colleagues from my first job in management consulting had started a very data-driven digital agency called Essence here in the UK. I think there were about 15, 20 people when he reached out. Um, I did a, a little project with them when I was still living in Madrid. It went really well. They asked me if I wanted to join. I said, you know, Great, great to take the opportunity. Also, I was, a t- I was tired of the sun and the good weather of Spain. So I figured London would be the, the ideal place for, for that. Yeah, if you, if you um, hate good weather, it's absolutely ideal over here, mate. <laughs> and uh, yeah, so, so then I moved, I moved to the UK um, and we built, it, it was a really exciting group of people, the kind of people that really challenge you every day. And you know, I, felt, I felt like a smart guy, like I had done some good things when I was in Spain with the business. Um, and I just arrived to a team of people where it felt like everything that I was saying was obvious. And those are the people that you want to work with because they really lift your game really smart. 
Um, anyway, so we were about 15, 20 people when I joined. I came on as a partner uh, running the creative side of the business. Uh, they did a lot of media for um, Google, Expedia, eBay, so really fast growing. Um, I was there for about four years, but during the course of that time is when the idea for my current business, TickTrack, really emerged. So we were doing a lot of work back then with Google, uh, not just um, running their media, but doing creating little widgets, if you recall, back in the the, the yeah. late two, late uh, um, like 2009, 2010, the, the I Google had this concept called iGoogle, which was like a personalized homepage. Yeah, I remember. I actually had that. Did you? Yeah. They were like the predecessors to your apps today. Yeah, 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 yeah. Because I had like the weather in one corner. Exactly. I had like my top line emails in the other corner. I had some like fun stuff down the bottom, like quotes and stuff. Yeah, it was cool. Your own personal data porn, so to yeah, speak. Yeah, exactly. Your life in, on a screen. Uh, it was really cool. So we did In a fact, lot really of- similar to the way that the iPhone is now with the yes. new update. Really? Yeah, really similar now because on the new update of um, iOS, you can, you, you can put widgets within your kind of normal yeah, menu. Yeah. Very so it's end. actually really yeah. similar to that. Yeah, it's full circle. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> anyway, so we were doing a lot of these different widgets, and Google obviously was a sponsor, but we were working with many third parties. One of them was CRUK, Cancer Research UK. Uh, really lovely bunch. We, we did a few workshops with them, and we created a concept where people could track their alcohol consumption in a widget. And the whole premise there was obviously a lot of studies that show that you know, um, long-term heavy alcohol consumption can lead to different forms of cancer. Yeah. That wasn't the story that we wanted to tell to young people because young people don't really worry, aren't really worrying as yeah, much. Yeah, they're not going to engage with that. But they may be worried about the cal- calorie intake of those drinks. And so we created a little widget where people could track their, um, their drinks and they would show them just how many calories they're consuming. And that led, that kind of was the spark of the idea where it was, we were thinking, well, well I, I had the idea, which is if you can, this is one aspect of your life. Why not something where um, you kind of track all of your life, right? And so that was the, the initial idea. So I started thinking about what could this mean from a user perspective? So this was about three years into my Essence life and the idea for TikTok really started to emerge. And so with one of my colleagues from Essence, we would meet very early on, you know, um, during the week around 5, 6 a.m. at the Starbucks downstairs and just start hashing out ideas. Um, and the original premise for TikTok was really as a way to empower people through their own data. So rather than track, more, it was less about the tracking and more about the pulling in data points across all of your life from your email, social media, the weather, um, your finances. And so the original premise of TikTok was really a, a dashboard, almost a Google Analytics for your life where you could pull in all this data and better understand your own behaviors through this information. So uh, about, about a year later, I took the jump and I started uh, with, with Ollie McCarthy, my co-founder, we started TikTok. And the original premise of TikTok was very much that. It was a dashboard where individuals could create any number of dashboards. It could be for, you know, to tr- watch your kids grow up, kind of track the development of your kids, one for weight loss, one for your work productivity, really anywhere where we could capture data. It was, we were fortunate that we were also in a period where the whole concept of the quantified self was really starting to emerge, yeah. if you recall that term. Yeah. And this was kind of historically, historically a, um, the, 
what were people that kind of would attach sensors to their temples and try to figure out every aspect of the life. And so the, it started really getting um, a, lot of, a lot of interest from individuals in this space. So we, we created a beta um, and we had a really niche but very loyal user base of people connecting every data point and starting to build their own dashboards. Um, about a year into it, we were invited by Health 2.0, the big digital health conference in the US, mm. off the back of some press that we got in Wired and a number of other art, uh, periodicals to present at their annual event. So we went up there, we presented. Actually, funny story, the original Tick Track wasn't really specifically about health, it was about lifestyle. But I called my sister, who's an oncologist in New York, and I asked her, help me tell a story with data about data points through about health improvement or uh, health awareness through the data that you capture. So I actually pulled in a number of data points and they showed a really interesting, um, uh, a really interesting comparable, which was the, um, my, my blood pressure, which I was tracking on one of these blood pressure cuffs through Winnings, was actually uh, demonstrating um, uh, increases during periods of high email sending. So during, so anyway, I was showing re interesting, in, interesting types of relationships between my data. Mm. And I showed this up on stage and we ended up winning best new company. And that's where we started getting a lot of uh, interest from insurers and different types of organizations around ways that we could partner, partner with them. And that's where we thought, okay, we, we've got something. We, we knew we didn't yet have a business. We had kind of a product but we needed to really find how could this product best align with different opportunities in the business, because obviously that's the, way, the only way you can grow a business. Um, and so this was circa 2013. For the next two years, we kind of threw darts at the wall. We worked with many types of organizations from Samsung to AT&T in the US, uh, to Blue Cross Blue Shield, I'll mention them in a moment, uh, to a number of others, even Red Bull doing athlete dashboards where you could watch and follow your favorite athletes as um, as they trained. And it was only when we, um, we met the folks at Blue Cross Blue Shield, which is, uh, well, one of the blues, which is a, a group of health insurers across the US, very large, uh, where we convinced them to partner with us to help their member engagement, the engagement of their customers or members. Um, they, they agreed to it and they effectively funded the, uh, what is TickTrack 2.0. We jettisoned online core business, we said, right, we're going to be a one product company. We're going to focus specifically, specifically on engaging people in their in their day to day health. And we effectively rebuilt the platform. And what we are today, we effectively launched in 2015. And that was our big pivot, so to speak. When people talk about pivots, that was uh, the big one for us. Sure. Um, and and over the course of the last five years, we've steadily grown across a number of different insurers like Aviva, like Allianz, Generali. Uh, Anthem in the U.S. and a number of others, Bupa in Hong Kong, um, and we continue to grow, specifically focused on really two main areas. What was originally our core business, which was working with insurers in supporting their members and their health and wellness, and the platform is very different today than it, is, than it was back then. It isn't so much a dashboard as uh, a real engagement platform that I'll talk about in a moment. And the other side is we've recently launched a direct to employer proposition to support employers with the health and well-being of their employees. And you can imagine during the course of this last year where lockdown was pretty much the, the thing um, and employers were really scrambling to figure how to support their employees uh, across the UK during a period where they felt more disconnected than ever, mental well-being issues were just on the rise. Um, 
we provided our platform directly to them to help support the mental and physical uh, well-being of their of their staff across the UK. It's been a really interesting, challenging but interesting last few months, and that's where we are today. Very cool. I mean, it's it's such an awesome story. A long way from finding mortgages, I can tell you that where you are now. Absolutely. Um, one of the things I'd like to ask you about is, I suppose, where the where the desire for this came from and I suppose where the skill set came from that you were able to do this and was this kind of like, you know, I'll just start it and see what happens and figure it out as I go. Or I think, and perhaps this is a bit loaded, but it seems that, you know, building and selling a business, you know, within a couple of years, it's quick and the amount of learning you must have done in a short space of time must have been pretty epic, especially giving you the confidence to then start your own business. What was it like, I suppose, going, going to exit with a business so early in your career, I suppose? Well, I'll answer, there's, there's two answers. The first one is I learned through mistakes. So yeah. I'm, I'm, um, I'm hard-headed and um, I don't tend to avoid mistakes. I tend to run right into them. Uh, it's my way of learning. Uh, <laughs> it is what it is, but I learn quickly from the mistakes. I think that's, sure. that's the point, but I need to make them. Um, that's, that's one thing. In terms of the early exit, yes, it was, um, I think it was probably too early to have had one because it felt like success was, I wouldn't say easy, but it was, it felt like success was a guarantee. It okay. was during a period where um, uh, this was the, the first dot com, right? Mm-hmm. So, this was everything was moving. Everything, anything that had .com to it had a you know 10x valuation, <laughs> and um, and and there was a lot of interest in the space, specifically financial uh, financial services, where you could use data to effectively um, provide perfect information to the market. Prior to that, you had brokers who owned the information, and they provided the information that they wanted to to you to customers. Now we were kind of removing that model. And, that was, and you've seen that across anything, any, any market where there was inter- in, intermediation from um, uh, real estate to brokerage, you know, to, to financial services. Um, and so it was, it was a really interesting experience, but it was also one where um, it wasn't as, uh, I guess the, the truth being, it wasn't as rosy as you would imagine because sure. that the business that acquired us then went into serious financial issues with the dot-com bust. So the lesson was, was really well learned in terms of, uh, of the outcome of that. But what it did do was um, instill in me, because of the nature of the business that we had, it was really driven around partnerships. So partnership and deal-making with synergistic companies where you could find ways to provide a total solution. An example is we were doing mortgage comparisons. So when people don't wake up in the morning wanting to get a mortgage. They want a house and a mortgage is a means to that Indeed. end. And so I've we just did, been through this process. So I'm fully aware I mean, of, of, of this stuff. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> we can go deep on mortgages <laughs> right now. Positive <laughs> outcomes so far. Very. I'm, I'm currently in the house that I've bought with said mortgage and they're very cheap at the moment. So uh, yeah, no complaints. And I can see the electricity work. So that's good. Absolutely. The Wi-Fi just about as well. <laughs> so. Um, yeah, so one of the things that I learned was uh, partnering with third-party organizations to create a higher level of value to an end user was key. So we did deals with, this was back then when Lycos and Excite were very popular and Yahoo were very popular. Okay, yeah. yeah. We did deals with popular real estate uh, portals in Spain. 
And so that one of the lessons that I learned through that process is you don't necessarily need to go direct to consumer all the time. Partnering with companies to enable a broader reach of users creates a one plus one, one, one plus one makes three scenarios. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which is definitely reflected in what you're doing now, right? Yes, exactly. So in terms of how we bring that forward is today, we're not a direct to consumer proposition, even though the product is designed to be a consumer product. We go through the, our partnerships with insurers and employers. And the whole, the whole premise of that is we do ultimately want to reduce the burden on the healthcare system. We want to do our bit to support the NHS. We believe that if people are taking more control over their own health and, and in doing so, they are lowering the, the risk of developing a chronic condition in the future. And if anybody's, anything's going to help the NHS in the future, it's helping to prevent preventable conditions. Absolutely. Our purpose is let us partner with the likes of Aviva. Let us partner with the likes of all the different employers that want to work with us to support them. And in turn, we can support society. That's the big, the big option. No, I get it. I get it. I've, I've had a lot of conversations about prevention, about wellness, about where does wellness become preventative health care, uh, you know, who pay It's interesting because healthcare in the UK is so politicized and it means that prevention doesn't pay back in a five-year political cycle. And so to expect centrally funded preventative measures is, well, perhaps deluded to expect the morality of politics to step forwards when really, as we know, it's about popularity. And popularity is always going to be morality and so really you can't expect from a political angle for it to be centrally funded so then the question begs who's responsible and who pays and i think it's super interesting because responsibility is somewhat on the individual arguably it is somewhat on employers arguably it is somewhat centrally arguably so it's interesting where responsibility lies in different, you know, wherever you are on whatever spectrum, you'll have a different opinion on where the responsibility truly lies. But finding a business model is very interesting in all of this. Finding a business model for prevention is fascinating. And just like you've done, I think employers is a really, really nice place to go to for a business model for prevention, because at the end of the day, you want to be healthy for yourself, for your future, for your family, for you to play with your kids, to, you know, all the rest of it. You want health for all of those reasons, yourself and your family, mm. but your employers are financially incentivized to keep you healthy. And so actually, if you can provide return on investment for an employer to keep you healthy, then we don't need it to come centrally. And actually, when you think about the distribution of resources, when it comes to an NHS or any health system globally, when you, when you start to then throw it into prevention, it all gets thinner, right? And I think for, for health systems around the world, where they choose to spend their resources is obviously completely up to them. But there's no doubt that if you increase the scope, it gets thinner for everyone. And so for employers to start picking that up, I think is, re- I think is really interesting. Um, it's, it's, now, it's now a, a, a must-have, right? Not yeah. only COVID is, has only amplified the need for that, but employees thanks to millennials today who seek this level of uh, a purpose from an employer one yep. who genuinely cares over their well-being um and and in turn the 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 the, the amount of choice of digital health services that exist mm. means that employers aren't just looking after um, productivity 
and retention of their employees, and in some cases benefits, now they've become the custodians of well-being of their staff. Yes. And COVID has absolutely accelerated this need because it wasn't any, it wasn't very nice to have. It's as an employer, I need now to really look after the well-being. I've got staff all across the UK distributed everywhere because they're all at home. Some are, you know, kids right out of uni in a small studio flat in London who have nobody to reach out to, right? They, some, some of these people may not even have met um, their, their, their colleagues yet because they were hired during COVID. Um, so the, the need to be able to, to, to bring people together, at least in a digital way, um, and show that there is support for them. And it's not just about providing a 24-7 hotline for mental well-being support, which is unfortunately really when, when things have gone wrong. It's about the preventative side, right? It's about creating the, the environment of, of an employer that supports the staff across everything that is to do with well-being. And that is, you know, in most employers today, specifically the smaller ones, and when I talk about smaller, I don't mean micro SMEs, yeah. I mean even 500. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Aren't, haven't, 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 aren't yet, haven't been matured enough to understand what is a, the well-being strategy of my business. And they've had to quickly learn and adapt. Um, and so it, is, it, is, it isn't just a trend anymore. It is something that COVID has merely accelerated the, the need for it, but it is here to stay because obviously it's not something that you can just take away. I agree. So I'm interested then in the product itself and from a tech perspective, what tech is going on behind all this stuff and I suppose what it looks like for a user, what it is, there, I suppose there's dashboards on dashboards for employers and I suppose there's loads of dashboards going on. Um, it's, it's much less of a dashboard product cool. today. It is much more of, a, um, of, a, of, a, of, of an app. For, for an end user, it's an app that serves almost like a well-being coach. You, show, you, you indicate a few of your preferences. It could be uh, learn more about meditation or, um, or get fit for the summer or, uh, or run my first 5K. There's so many different types of, um, of themes within the app. But once you, once you register, you can connect any wearable that you have. So if you've got a Garmin or a Fitbit, or you may not you know, want to spend money on a, fit, on, a, on a wearable, but just have the accelerometer on your phone, we connect all that data. Uh, for the user. And then that data is used to better um, provide uh, a service to that user, either recommendations of content. We've got content around podcasts for mental well-being or inspirational content. And I'll, I'll, I'll mention in a moment some of the athletes that we're working with that bring kind of inspiring content into the platform. There's also a series of action plans that help people establish healthy, healthy daily habits around different themes. Back, uh, if you think about back pain relief or posture management, or um, uh, stress management, improve my sleep, a number of different areas and different themes. There are activity challenges that are configured for an employer. So any employer will have their own corporate culture and they may want to have their own challenges. They may have a cycling team or running club and the, the ability to configure it at the employer level is a real plus because it means it's something that becomes really theirs and it gets ring fenced just for their staff. And then we invest heavily in the content. We truly believe that content is king, so to speak. Um, and it's not that kind of drab, with all due respect, content that you'd find on the NHS website, which is good, solid content, but it's reference content, the kind of stuff that yeah. you find in the library. 
we've got content that is topical. It is of the times and it is through our huge roster of content contributors mm-hmm. from, from clinical psychologists to, um, uh, to physical therapists, um, to personal trainers, nutritionists, really across the board and work with some great people from the strength house to Fiona Lamb, who's a hypnotherapist. Um, all this content comes into the platform and they all contribute as if it were a magazine, right? And this content through our content team, a really talented content team, uh, is then provided on a weekly and monthly basis across the platform. And the campaign model means that there is every month and every quarter, there are big themes. Right now we're in our Thrive campaign, which is all around the follow-up to our COVID-19 coping campaign, which was earlier this year, we got hit with COVID-19. Everybody was just coping to coping with the situation. Now it's about giving people the tools to really thrive in the face of adversity in the situation that, okay, the vaccine is here, but we've still got a ways to go. 2021 has already been planned, Q1 at least, which is all around, um, around taking control of 2021. Unfortunately, it has a little bit of a Brexit link, but that's not, <laughs> that's not purely coincidental. It's take control of your health. Um, and the whole purpose is take control of your health into 2021, empowering people with a 90-day plan around mental and physical, physical well-being. And we've also built a positive resilience profiler with Belinda Board and the team at PeopleWise, who are clinical psychologists and behavioral organizational behavioral specialists that brings years of research into a personal, a positive resilience profiler, PRP, I love acronyms, mm-hmm. that enables people to understand where the areas of need to build positive resilience. And resilience, I think, is going to be probably one of the most Googled search terms of next year, that and self-care. Um, and it, so all this forms part of the user experience. From a dashboard level, the only dashboards that really exist still are the, um, the overall aggregated insights around understanding total populations about the, the trends and the themes. So if you're an employer, for instance, it's really important for you to know across your staff in a purely aggregated, de-identified way, what are the needs of, you know, what is it that your staff are really looking for and needing? And we can provide insights around the percentage of users that are looking at mental well-being content, because that can inform an employer to better provide services that are more appropriate to the needs of their staff. Yeah, because that's the, that's the actionable information, which is the most important. Absolutely. It seems that so many companies are trying to kind of say, we'll, we'll give you this data, that data, the other data, like there's data on data on data, and you can draw graphs and dashboards and like all the rest of it and blah, blah, blah. But at the end of the day, it just needs to come down to what's actionable. And seemingly, you, all, you also, I suppose, that there's a bit of a privacy issue as well, I suppose, for the individuals otherwise. Because if it is you know, hypersensitive data that's being reported upwards, people are going to react differently. You know, the same way that, you know, everything changes if it's being watched, right? That nothing acts the same if it's being watched. And I think if I was aware, very aware that my actions were being looked at above even anonymized, I'd still argue that it's, it's possible to find out who I am. And, and it might give me that feeling, but it seems that, you know, for it to be as high level as that and purely the action of information, it would add so much value to the employer to then just, as you say, be able to action it straight away. I'm interested from a very practical level, I suppose, how you, how you grew this business to where it is now and how you took it from, from idea to reality to scale. And I think 
the reason the reason I ask that is because this you've had this idea for a while. Okay, this is a this is an mm. idea and a company that you've had for a while. It's not something that you can do overnight. Obviously, it requires financing, it requires partnerships, it requires all these different things. How was it going from an idea to reality? And was there any kind of unlock? Was there a partnership or or I don't know, a round or a something? What was the thing that actually unlocked the success here? Yeah, it's a really good question. I think this is where health tech is different from other tech. Right. I think it's a really important piece because it's still health, right? Mm-hmm. This the there are areas where you can you can grow quickly, but you know how they say it takes about five to thirteen years to build an overnight success. <laughs> a lot like of that. time to get to the point and a lot of work. And it's not because this is health and health and well being, you you need to be very cautious of what you're what you're sharing and what you're building and how you're engaging with people and what you're yep. coming to and and compliance and GDPR and all of that. Because there's so much it. about trust. All yeah. those things that you talked about there are all building trust, which seems to be a theme of how to build a health tech company because you require trust from patients to clinicians to centrally to employers. So you know it, it's interesting. Exactly. And so the one thing is if you are going to build a health tech business, it is a long burn, right? It is not a, this isn't a quick two-year two flip like you can do with maybe something in financial well-being, uh, sorry, in, fi- in financial services or others. It requires a lot of time, especially if you're also B2B. And if you cross that with working with insurers who by definition are risk averse, <laughs> by definition, the whole business. I would say, had I known then what I know now, maybe it wouldn't have been my first go to market. Uh, but it also forces you to be to invest heavily in your your infrastructure, your um, you know data privacy structure from a user perspective, but also in terms of how you manage data, encryption, and just just overall control of data, and then of course user experience and what you can and cannot say. So it does take a lot of time. I think going back to to your original question, there are a number of milestones that have driven the kind of step step growth and success. And we're by far not out of the woods yet. I don't think mm. most companies are. But I think the first one was that that pivot point when we did the deal in the U.S. with uh, one of the blues, the insured. Um, that put us on the path to, right, we're one product business. Um, and we're going to focus very much on our core proposition, which is to empower people to take greater control of their own health. The next one was we're UK-based, right? We're headquartered here. Uh, we... We, we earned the trust of Aviva, who's obviously the largest insurer in the UK, one of the largest health insurers. And uh, we signed a, a, a long-term partnership with them where we became the platform for Aviva Wellbeing. And that also, the, the partnership that we built with them was really, really um, empowering because we built a real integrated co-working environment where we understood their pain points because an insurer at the end of the day like you rightly said it takes a long time to demonstrate the impact of prevention over policies and claims so the the way that we needed to structure it was very much a business case right because an insurer at the end of the day is a business so we learned a lot about how to how to how to balance between a business case in a, in a, what is a PNL decision at the end of the day to an, impo- to an insurer and 
the health outcomes case, which is what we try to you know, hold ourselves accountable for long term. But it is a long burn, right? And if you think about the last, the last piece that I'll say is in the health tech space, the sales cycles are very long, right? Probably not doing myself very much justice for a future investment round, but <laughs> are very long. They can be 12, 18 months, right? The investors already know this. They just yes, want to make sure that sure. you know this. So you're probably doing yourself a good service, I would argue. Yeah, good point. Good point. So the, uh, yeah, so 12 to 18 months are the sales cycles. Rollout cycles can be another 12 to 18 months. So at the worst case scenario, you're talking about 36 months, three years, which for any other startup in any other market is an eternity. Right? Yeah. So, so I started and sold the first business in less time than that. Yeah, one thing that I want to pull out there for the, for the entrepreneurs listening is I want, to, I want to talk about knowing your customer and understanding your customer. It's something that comes up on this podcast so often that the successful entrepreneurs just have this either passion or just they've spent so much time or effort, resource, just understanding the needs of their customer and particularly kind of how to do the deal. Because on, on one respect, it is a P&L decision. On another respect, it is a moral decision. On another respect, it is a populist decision. It's, you know, there's many moving parts there. It's how the organization wants themselves to be perceived in the market perhaps as well. There, there are many levers to pull when trying to do a deal like that. And it seems to me that, I mean, you very quickly and very eloquently sort of ran through the value proposition essentially that you've developed for, for Aviva there or indeed any insurer there. Was it luck, judgment or both how you kind of got to that point? Were you kind of in the room that first time round, going like, we've nailed this, we understand it, we've done so much homework, we've asked them or was it kind of trial and error to the point at which you got the first deal done? I think there is, it's a very consultative sales process, right? I think there was a combination, this was circuit, I think that the time periods are, are very different in terms of the themes of the market. So back in 2014, 2015, it was still very much an educational sale. It was very much, why do you need to invest in well-being as opposed to other ancillary health services? Um, even telehealth was just emerging there. The, so we need to communicate, what is the value of engagement? Why should an insurer be investing in this space? So it was a very much a why as opposed to a how. And so that educational sale was particularly long. And it was, if, if you are familiar with the uh, crossing the chasm concept of mm -hmm. the, the famous book, Absolutely. Um, we had to be fortunate enough to, to be engaging with those early innovators. And there's very few, and Aviva were one of them. The CEO of health, I'm going to call him out just to embarrass him, Mark Noble, um, who's recent, who, who actually left and joined our board of directors. We've become very good friends since then. <laughs> he was an innovator. He saw the value in this. And he said, right, he, you know, like, like, a, like a steam truck, he just wanted it. And we were fortunate enough to, 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 to meet, right? Um, and we built a vision together. And it was thanks to him that we really started that, that vision. Fast forward to today, it's no longer a why, it's a how and with whom decision. Okay. How do I do this and who's the right partner for me? And so the, the, the process and the skill set that's been required to win business has been one of creativity, vision creating, storytelling, and 
um, and proposition building. For all of my personal faults in many other areas, one of my strengths is in creative ideas, proposition building, and, um, and, and, and articulating a vision. And that's helped craft those relationships with some of the larger enterprise clients. And something that we're bringing across our enterprise team now, where we have obviously a larger sales and business development team. But that's, it's a key thing because a lot of the time this stuff didn't exist and it needed to not just be sold to one person. When you're dealing with a large insurer like Aviva, you've got a multitude of stakeholders, right? You've got the propositions team, the, the ultimate P&L owner, their chief medical officer, their chief marketing officer, their compliance team, their actuary team. I mean, there are many different areas. Yeah. My final question there, Martin, before we kind of wrap up is where are you guys now in the scale that you've got and what's the plan for the near to medium term future with you guys? Sure. Well, we raised our last round back in March of this year, and that's a story in and of itself, considering <laughs> we close around uh, on the week that the UK announced lockdown and the markets were tanking. So it was wow. not, not without its challenges. Anyway, that's for another podcast. But, um, so we've, um, we brought, so Aviva, Aviva Ventures is one of our investors. They came in a few, a few years ago, and then they came in as well this year and Puma Investments, which is a private equity firm. And so we raised 6 million pounds and we're using that to accelerate, um, our employee wellbeing business, which is really, really starting to fly. It's, it's, um, we, we feel, we feel we hit a really strong kind of product market fit with the times. And of course, to support the growth of our entire engagement model, which is investing heavily in content and some of the partnerships that I can share with you in a moment, if you'd like. Um, and then obviously expand internationally across all of our insurer colleagues. So that's our next stage of growth really is scaling. Now that we've built over the last five years, um, the platform slowly, but assuredly, and we know yeah. what it takes, we're now using those funds to accelerate our growth. One of, good. I was just gonna say that you, yeah, you, you definitely seem very confident in the platform itself and, and how it's good and why it's good. And I think, you know, it can take it can take time to build something properly. And like you said, in health tech, so much about some so much of it is about building trust. And yeah, okay, in the you know, clinicians, patients and data and all that sort of stuff, but also in the product itself and how good it is. And and actually to get the scale that you've got now, you you seem seem very confident in uh in how good the product is and sort of ready to scale which means that you know this round then comes with excitement because you've got the data behind how good it is you've got the case studies you've got the advocates and it's just a case of saying like look we've taken our time here but we know that what we've got is really good and so I, come at us you know it's great remember when i told you we make a lot of i make a lot of mistakes well <laughs> we've learned a lot from trial and error over yeah. the last five years and We've got a team at TikTrack that is really experienced and really passionate around engaging people in their health to get them to do the things that they need to do to live healthier and longer, but do it in a fun way, right? So the, our dream for TikTrack is, do you remember back in 2007, and this is not at all trying to make a comparison, but do you remember back in 2007 when Steve Jobs was up on stage with the first iPhone? And he had it up in his hand. I do. I was in uh, third, third or fourth year of med school. Uh, so yeah, I do remember that very well. Good. 
and he had it up in his hand saying something like a music player yeah 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 lives in a phone he kept repeating it and, and then they all, and then they all sort of merged into one yeah and, and then the 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 real line for me was it just works yeah all this it was implying that there's all this fancy technology but you don't need to worry it just works the 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 analogy towards TikTok, the impact that we want to have is we want people to start using TikTok, and one day and, and the next day again and again and then because it's so easy one day realize well it just happened i i lost weight i'm sleeping better i feel less stressed whatever general goal that they have in well-being it was so seamless because it was entertaining to use it was easy it was seamless that they just achieved it and that's the ultimate goal of the app no i love it i think what you're doing is incredible i, th I think that it's exciting where you're at you know raising that money now to scale knowing the product works knowing how good it is i think it's awesome and obviously because of everything that i do the, the content side of it is extremely exciting to me i think um you might need to rebrand that around tiktok to be honest but <laughs> <laughs> how close those two are coming together or just partner maybe i don't yeah. know who knows the the only issue with con with tiktok of course is you need to make sure the content is uh uh you know is, is certified in, in indeed in, but we um one of the things that we're really excited about is a kind of partnerships content partnerships that we're bringing on board so one that we launched this month was with the athlete media group where they represent many different athletes and these aren't the high uh, high flying high paid athletes these are everyday people who don't have those big endorsement contracts sure. these are uh, team gp olympians paralympians explorers these are really fascinating people who don't have the big budgets to go out and get have you know coaches of 20 people around them and they've shared their stories on TikTok. we've got podcasts of our own of those stories articles and the, the, what we're bringing to the users is real life stories that tell this, that talk about the same challenges that we all have in waking up early to do the thing that we need to do or the stretching or the resilience building, but hearing it from people who, who have kind of figured out their own life hacks to achieve what they want to do. And it's really compelling, inspirational stories. And that's a kind of content that we know is really compelling to users and that what we continue to bring into the platform. Really exciting stuff. Awesome. Uh, for, for people listening, and I suppose we've got loads of people listening to this from uh, definitely insurers and hospitals and everything. What asks would you have of our audience? Uh, it depends where, where, um, what sector they're in, but to, I think the first one is well-being isn't a catchword or catchphrase is a real thing it is synonymous with prevention so and it's not just about uh physical fitness uh nutrition or mental well-being well-being as a whole is about lifestyle and instilling the right kinds of behaviors in your lifestyle that can lead to the right kind of balance so to think about well-being in a in a in a broader sense and to think about what they can be doing in well-being to help support their communities, uh, be it patients, employees, members, family, students, uh, in the way that um, in the way that engages them, right? Because everybody relates to different things in different ways. We need to create an environment of well-being where um, it makes it seamless for each individual to live the healthy life that they need to live.
Amazing. And what is the best way for people to get in touch with you or indeed TickTrack? Uh, they can reach out to me directly, Martin or Martin, M-A-R-T-I-N at TikTrack, T-I-C-T-R-A-C dot com. Perfect. Thank you so much for coming on. It's a pleasure. Thanks for having me. Hey everyone, thanks for listening and making it all the way to the end of this episode. Remember to subscribe, rate us and leave a review. And you can head to the description of this episode to follow me on all of my social media so you don't miss out on any of the latest health tech content.